met this six-year-old child in this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. episode of Subconscious Realms. I'm your host, General Lee. And for tonight, we welcome back our one of the most intriguing guests that we've had on Subconscious Realms so far. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sir Alan Greenfield. Alan, Alan. Hi, I'm here. Are you? <laughs> I am, I think. Anyway. <laughs> and hopefully there will be many people listening in to learn the truth about the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light, yes, also known yes. currently as the Celestial Lodge of Sirius. It's oh. not like as in seriously, folks. It's like, you know, the star out there yes, in yes. the aether. And what, what was the reason for changing the name of it, Alan? Is that just with the times? Uh, I didn't change the name, so I don't know. It sounds right, fancy, okay. and I guess maybe the word brotherhood has become sort of, you know, politically incorrect-like, so... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, so maybe that. But ah. I, I don't control that. I just, you know, go with the flow. Yeah. So, like so when... A, okay, go ahead. Oh, uh, when, when, uh, when did it all begin? Well, arguably it began in ancient Egypt, but the first time it comes into view in something like modern times would be in the 19th century in Egypt. So we'll go into the Wayback Machine, back to Egypt in the mid 19th century. <laughs> And Napoleon has been defeated and left Egypt, but it is now an English protectorate, i.e. a colonial possession. So Madame Blavatsky and Colonel Alcott, all the way over in New York City, had created the Theosophical Society. But before that, they were in Egypt doing this I won't call it a scam because the theosophists will jump on me, but we'll say they were doing a mediumship bit. And they met an Egyptian copt. The copts are generally these days, those that are left are Christians, but some hearken back to the, to the old days. So I hear. Yeah. Anyway, this guy's name was Palos Metamon. Now, the name is Coptic, but the name Palos or Paul is 
uh, a Christian name, so perhaps he was a little bit of both. But he was a member of the ancient Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor or light. Same, uh, the right. word in Egyptian means the same thing. And apparently, Madame Blavatsky and uh, Colonel Alcott were interested, so they were invited to join. Well, they were members for a while, and then uh, the Hermetic Brotherhood and the uh, nascent uh, uh, theosophists uh, were expelled for reasons not clearly known now. You may take yeah. uh, Blavatsky's version. Oh, no, that was not at all connected with later groups that called themselves that to sort of quote her, except I can't do a Russian accent in English, which was probably the way she talked. So uh, Colonel Alcott and uh, Madame Ablavatsky uh, uh, skidooed all the way to India. They went out to India and uh, some attribute to them the beginnings of Indian nationalism, to which I say, how has that worked out for you as the Pakistani? <laughs> you know, it, it hasn't worked out all that well, but that's they're now out of that picture, except the order of antiquity that uh, Metamon was a part of passed to certain Europeans. Uh, that isn't to say that it hasn't continued in Egypt. I don't know. I mean, I've kind of lost track there. But um, yeah. Max Theon, a, the son of a, a rabbi from Warsaw, I believe, uh, named Blau, uh, was sort of a, a traveling mystic. And uh, yes. And I believe he initiated a number of people into the Hermetic Brotherhood, as it was then called, of light, um, including uh, a Scotsman a distiller, which is a common profession, on Loch Ness, interestingly enough, not very far from Beleskin, actually, where... Ah. A, a future uh, uh, mystic was uh, to uh, become the laird of, uh, or so he said, uh, well, by definition, if you own property in Scotland, you're a laird, right? At least traditionally. Or if you are into trees, but that's a whole different subject. Anyway, so uh, Peter Davidson uh, was the recipient of the lineage from Metamon to, uh, uh, to Max Theon. And uh, he started a branch of the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light in the English speaking world. Meanwhile, yeah. uh, um, Theon, who was ever a traveler and who wound up in uh, uh, French Algeria, as it was back in the day, um, had also probably 
initiated the American Pascal Beverly Randolph, or as we refer to him, the founder, because certain deep, deep founder. Yes. Well, he was the founder over on this side of the pond. That doesn't mean he was the founder right, of the right. organization. Although, you know, he, he variously claimed, yes, I was the founder. No, I wasn't. I was the recipient of the ancient Rosicrucian tradition. Am I getting too much in the weeds or are you still following me? Because yes, if you right. don't follow yes, me, yes. then your, your, your listeners definitely will. <laughs> <laughs> will have tuned out and will now be listening to, you know, Hellier or something or other. Uh, but it's necessary to give this sort of lineage in order to know where the um, the authentic tradition migrated. So anyway, yeah. Davidson in Scotland uh, for... Uh, published a magazine called, I believe it was called The Occult Magazine, which I have all the copies of somewhere in the, the Great Pyramid in my dining room. Um, but like many things in the Great Pyramid, it doesn't mean I can find it right offhand. But it was a very well-produced yeah. magazine. And then they ran afoul of the now very dominant, this is about the 1870s, 18, early 1880s, they ran yeah. afoul of Madame Blavatsky. And in those days, if you were in the occult, you don't mess with Madame Blavatsky. So uh, uh, Davidson's, uh, uh, I don't know if you'd call him assistant, but let's say co-worker, uh, Thomas Burgoyne, uh, who used a variety of names. He was the Edward Kelly to John D of the HB of L. Um, right. Ran foul of the law and wound up in the Huskow, i.e. jail. And that, of course, uh, I'm not saying Blavatsky was responsible. His crime was stealing postage stamps, which doesn't seem... I'm telling you the truth. That's that's according to them and according to me, to Blavatsky. Do you you think think it was uh, genuine or was it made up, do you you reckon? I, I think that he, that they advertised something in their magazine, the occult magazine. Yeah. Uh, something to the effect of, uh, send us a return envelope, which is something I do too, but I always send the return envelope back with, you know, whatever it is that they request. Like if they want a newsletter, I send them a newsletter. If they want a charter to work their own work, I send them a charter to work their own work. And I think it was, uh, uh, they probably had some basis for that, but in any case, uh, Burgoyne, who was a skatey sort of, character like uh he uh may or may not have steamed the stamps off of the envelopes and not sent them back but you know that that by today's standard that's hardly something that you'd be put in prison for but uh apparently his uh 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 photo i.e the 
the photo taken of him when he was uh, sent off to prison appeared in Blavatsky's magazine, which was enticingly entitled Lucifer, uh, because, you know, Lucifer the light bringer or whatever, yeah. Yeah. or some would say perhaps it had a another meaning there, but, you know, I, I would never, never diss the the theosophists, a bunch of aging twits, but that's not important. They have a chapter right here that goes back to the early 1900s, but uh, nevertheless, uh, the, uh, uh, I guess Burgoyne got out of jail in due course. I mean, it was hardly a capital crime. They didn't hang him for it. Yeah. You are sentenced to die, death, 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 because you stole those stamps. Oh, I'm sorry, I returned them, I returned Shut up and take your punishment like a man. No, they didn't do that. They eventually let him out. And he and, uh, and Peter Davidson, the frontal chief of the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light, uh, decided to come hither, right here, uh, about oh, 100 miles uh, from where I sit right now to the uh, North Georgia mountains where many uh, Scots exiles have uh, uh, made their way and in fact still uh, are very common up in the, around Cleveland, Georgia. Yeah. And, yeah, out of, uh, curiosity, out of curiosity, Alan, sorry to interrupt that. What do you think the reason is for from um, wanting to go to that home? Is it something? Is it something specific they go for? Well, in in this was in the um, late eighteen eighties, and I, I think you, that yeah. that was a pretty much unoccupied area. Um, it was. It's still very sparsely populated. I mean, relative to. I'm in Atlanta, and Atlanta is a uh, very densely populated uh, city. But you go a little bit north, and you're in sort of uh, uh, wild country. And I assume that back in the day, like in the 1880s, 1890s, it was virtually uninhabited. Um, Interesting area. I mean, that's where the... uh, uh, semi-famous Tallulah Gorges, which the uh, Cherokee uh, called uh, the the area where the entrance to Otherware was, and the little people, the Yumwe Chumdi, as they call them, uh, in the Cherokee language, and I'm probably mangling that, um, was located, and that became something that was an object of some discussion in my book, First Plug, The Complete Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. The complete what? The Complete Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts, General Lee, don't you know? Okay, enough of the plug. So we get back to the story. Um, They settled very close to there in a town that no longer exists uh, called Loudsville, which uh, would now be an unincorporated suburb of the quote, city, unquote, of the uh, uh, city of Cleveland, Georgia. 
Right. And there they started a publication that rivaled Lucifer of the Theosophists and called it the Morning Star, which is an interesting, you know, parody yeah. since the Morning Star is Venus, is Lucifer. But yeah. uh, living as they were in uh, a very, very conservative area, i.e. the American Civil War they didn't know was over, so to speak. So they um, they started with a, a somewhat sanitized version, like uh, one of the famous pieces that they published and I republished uh, in uh, plug number two. <laughs> the way, of the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light also discussed in other people's book, the uh, uh, the Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor, same group. I mean, I helped them with their book. Uh, they helped me a bit with mine, but uh, uh, not necessarily willingly, but <laughs> they did. Um, that was by the, the theosophical people who presumed to understand stuff that only initiates would fully understand. And it shows in their book, but of course in mine, uh, I was at that time a member of Euless Lodge of the O-T-L. The L-T-L, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't named by me, it was named by the founding member who was, as it turns out, from that neck of the woods up on the North Carolina, uh, I believe it was North Carolina, uh, Georgia border, or as we say, yeah. Georgia border. And it's, uh, that's where he was from. And he went into his father's library and there was a book there called Ulysses. How does this Ulysses. Well, Ulysses was written by Pascal Beverly Randolph, P.B. Randolph, also having been initiated into the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light. And apparently his father was either interested in it or at least had gotten the book because Randolph was a physician and yeah. uh, this guy's dad uh, was also a physician. So, But he was not and he read the book and it involved sexual magic. Sexual magic? Yes. Sexual, sexual magic. magic. So he eventually moved here to Atlanta and having tried to form a branch of uh, the Grant version of the OTO, a much better version in my opinion, uh, and found a bunch of people, but apparently Grant didn't give them anything to do. So he quit that and formed a branch of the uh, McMurtry uh, version of the OTO and named it Euless Camp, which became Euless Oasis and eventually Euless Lodge. Euless Lodge. In OTO Incorporated. It has a separate corporation in Georgia. Well, the, the big kahuna bill decided uh, maybe the separate incorporation is not such a good idea. So, uh, Somewhere in the uh, mid-1980s, the word came from on high, i.e. a basement in Brooklyn, New York, uh, yeah. 
dissolve that corporation, you're under the California corporation, to which we said, why not? So it turns out that Bill, the Lodge Master, that's another Bill, B-I-L Bill, not B-I-L-L, you know, as in William Gary Keith yeah. Breeze, the Baphomet Breeze, as he was known to some. Um, the Baphomet Breeze. Yeah, they, somebody put out a a, a, a a newsletter. Since the official newsletter was notoriously slow to come out, yeah. the magical link, which uh, a lot of members would call behind his back, the missing link, because it rarely came out at all. So somebody came out with a satire on it called the Baphomet Breeze. But that's that's a side issue. Uh, in any case, I found out that Bill, the uh, lodge master, had never read Ulysses, but he did have a copy of the unexpurgated third edition. Now, I had read lots of unexpurgated paperbacks because a lot of books that had been banned in America back in the uh, 1930s and 40s, uh, some kind of court ruling allowed them to be published in America. And that being the case, things like Henry Miller and other things that were considered porn back in the day were then considered literature. But of course, it proudly said on the cover of the paperback editions, unexpurgated which sort of meant all the sex stuff is left in. So, of course, my mother got right, copies right. of those. And when she got done with them, she left them around. And I read them at 12 and 13. You know, it was a corrupting influence. Yeah, yeah. Thank God for my mother. Amen. Amen. Call <laughs> it out, brother. So, uh, in any case, uh, I got the unexpurgated edition of Ulysses by P.B. Randolph and uh, was in the Ulysses Lodge library until Bill made off with the whole library. Later story. Really? And, uh, well, it, it took all, all, every single book out of there. Every single book. I, it's I, a I, long I, story, and I was told yeah. since I was the next Lodge Master, I was given permission by the, uh, the Bill, the Kahuna, uh, as he's called among his Hawaiian followers, uh, that I could sue him. But uh, you see the OTO, and in those days, I followed the rules unlike anybody else, uh, pro prohibited any kind of legal action against a fellow member of the OTO, uh, lest you be expelled for life, which <laughs> happened eventually anyway, but that's for other reasons, like, speaking the truth you know so i thought the truth well, hurts me this book was published in 1875 by randolph uh the same year that he either offed himself like or perhaps was uh uh killed by a a jealous uh fellow who had problems with him, depending on whose story you take. I think both are probably, you know, he was standing there waiting to hang himself and the guy came in and shot him. And I can't yeah. even quote, even on your very liberal program, uh, what Madame Blavatsky was said to have said as it involved a, uh, a term that we no longer use. However, uh, 
nevertheless, it showed her true colors, so to speak. And she right. was all the way in India, so it must have been telepathic. But you can look it up. It's it's in print somewhere uh, in lots of places, actually. Uh, but she detested him and the whole idea of sexual anything, let alone sexual magic. But when essentially when uh, the uh, Brotherhood of Eulis, which was a related organization, yeah. uh, effectively lost its leader. In fact, its future leader was supposed to be Osiris Buddha Randolph, uh, Randolph's son. He became a sort of everyday ordinary doctor at uh, Johns Hopkins uh, hospital in Baltimore, which happened to be uh, where my uh, uncle um, was also a doctor. And uh, as far as I've been able to ascertain, uh, he was just a regular doctor. He didn't have anything yeah. to do with this stuff. But Randolph's uh, wife, Kate Corson Randolph, uh, was willing to sell the secrets of the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light to one of the claimants to be the Rosicrucian Society, the one run by R. Swinburne Clymer, named presumably for the poet Swinburne. Um, but he was anti-sexual magic. So there are a whole bunch of books by P.B. Randolph that have been expurgated yeah, so so just kind of me uh, with on being anti-sex magic how did that did you just leave it all out uh they managed i mean it's easier to acquire an edition where that stuff is left out which has right, caused okay. me no no end of problems because when i published the the book, the story of the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light, program number three. I got angry letters, mostly from your side of the pond. They were UK postmarks back when people wrote real letters instead of emails saying, well, we looked in the book and there's no such references to this sex stuff. To which I said, Oh, contraire, do you have the editions from the Toledo, Ohio Publishing Company, which was actually uh, published by P.B. Randolph? Because if you do, you will find, and I quoted from the, you know, the edition that uh, that I had the read. Legit the legit one. Yeah, the legit one. Yeah. Un, uh, unadulterated and unedited. Uh, which is filled with stuff about sexual magic, not the secret teachings, but talking about, you know, sort of yeah. talking about it. So uh, at some point back when I was in good standing, I was sitting in uh, Mr. Breeze's uh, living room where he was then hiding out curiously on the North Carolina, Georgia border, not very far from where uh, 
where Peter Davidson and Burgoyne had settled. Well, actually, there's yeah. another story with Burgoyne. He had a falling out, went to California, and founded yet another claimant to the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light called the Church of Light. It's, only, it's still Light. around. But the only distinction that I know of with it was back in the day when I first got interested in the tarot, and this would be to date myself, the early 1960s, there were only two decks available. The um, so-called weight deck or the rider pack or actually the Pamela Coleman Smith deck and the Church of Light deck, which was printed on tiny cards and in black and white. Uh, and the symbolism was none too perfect, but it was the Church of Light that got that out. And as far as I know, they're still getting it out, or at least somebody is. Interesting. I mean, uh, long out of, uh, uh, you know, copyright, like, Ninety-nine percent of Crowley's works. Hint, hint, everybody. Hello, hello. Is, is um, the di difference in the decks? Is is it? Is that all? It is is different symbology on it, Alan? And, um, yeah, black, yeah. black and white. It's, it's it's not up to the standard of the uh, weight deck, okay. which was which was basically the Golden Dawn's deck, the original Golden Dawn, not the current non-linear claimants to be the golden dawn none yeah. of which are uh but uh, uh the original when it had actually was uh, it was maybe 200 people but it being a uh, i think it was called a fin de between 19th and 20th century it had uh uh many illustrious members uh and uh they were and very talented people too. Uh, uh, Bennett uh, Crowley's uh, teacher was a member until he went out to India and became a monk, uh, which is not really oh, what right. people in India have done since the uh, 14th century because they're Hindu and uh, the monks were Buddhists, but that's not important. What's important is that Crowley also was a member, and uh, and so were several very famous writers and poets. Uh, I've even heard, but never actually confirmed, that Bram Stoker, when he wasn't being the soccer coach, which was his uh, profession, uh, uh, was a member of the Golden Dawn. Interesting. Yeah. There, did, did Crowley have a problem with Stoker? Have a bit of beef with him at some point? No, I think Stoker was in and out before Crowley was in. I mean, right, okay. Talking about the period 1885 to 95, Crowley was only born in 1875, an interesting year for births. Carl Jung, the psychologist, was born that year, and Charles Fort, the documenter of the weird and wonderful was born that year and so was uh alistair crowley uh but um uh he i think became a member in the late 1890s and by then uh, some of the founding members were gone um uh, mathers was the the big uh, cheese, the yes. leader, the leader, the Cheshire cheese of his time, and uh, McGregor Mathers, which I don't think he was actually a McGregor, but 
that's that's getting into uh, clan stuff, which uh, uh, I'll get back to clan Davidson. It was from them that I got permission to carry on the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light. Uh, oh, work. interesting. Yeah. 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 Well, I did something different from the other people that went up to Cleveland, Georgia, to interview the descendants of Peter Davidson, which is to say, I am from, well, not up there, but from the uh, central Savannah River region of Georgia. And it's quite similar, although more um, more inhabited, it being on a major river, actually probably the only major river in this state. Also the location of the plant where they make the plutonium triggers for atomic bombs, which was a big deal back in the day. Uh, Can you imagine, mate? Can you imagine? <laughs> well, it was, we were drinking the water that was originated in the river, so. <laughs> it's interesting. One of my cousins got thyroid cancer. Uh, my mother, uh, well, it wasn't cancer. It was uh, a thyroid tumor. And so also did my mother, both benign and both That's lived weird, to a ripe old age. But I do attribute that to the, uh, the, to the. Yes, well, to the tritium in the water. And I've been told by. Uh, an ex of mine who remains nameless, not because I don't care to mention it, but because to to mention is to invoke, and I certainly don't want to invoke her, but she lived in the little town <laughs> after we split up that uh, is on the other side of the river, and a lot of unemployed scientists also live there since at the end of the Cold War, they became unemployed because there wasn't that big a market for plutonium, I guess. Uh, so um, um, she said that uh, one of her friends in that uh, uh, departed industry was uh, got a job uh, documenting the uh, mutated wildlife, including three-eyed toads that were hopping around the river riverbed. There are also alligators. Three-eyed Three yeah. toads. Yes, sir. Uh, but what, you know, we didn't have any three-eyed humans that I know of. We did have that famous case <laughs> of split personality that was immortalized in the uh, Paul Newman uh, movie uh, Three Faces of Eve because that was in my hometown actually that that real case took place where the woman actually had seven personalities so that's more than three eyes I guess it's yes. seven personalities two eyes apiece bipolar no uh, no 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 much much more serious than that all oh, right okay it's more like uh, um psychosis i mean she became these seven different people and i'm probably mangling the story now but it was the talk of the town back in the day because nothing other than the famous golf tournament ever happens in my hometown which although i wrote quote number four doo -doo 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 -doo, the complete secret cipher of the euphonauts parts one and two down there in Augusta, where I had gone. Anyway, so 
I decided that other people had had bad luck interviewing the Davidson clan members. So I put on my clerical collar, which is my right since I've been, you know, consecrated into that yeah. hoodoo, and got to my lodge Tyler to put on his clerical collar since I had made him a deacon or a priest or one of those things. I don't know. I don't take them all that seriously. And we went up and both of us sunk into our native accents and we visited. She didn't want us in her house. So we visited at the local library. That's a library in Cleveland, Georgia, with uh, this woman who was a direct descendant of Peter Davidson. And because we were clergy and because we were good old boys, because we talked the same way they did almost, uh, she warmed to the subject. And apparently, uh, so we asked some, you know, basic questions and she told us where uh, Peter Davidson had uh, lived and tried to refute the story that he had been a moonshiner. However, he was a distiller in Scotland and he did, uh, he was doing homeopathic medicines in Cleveland. And you can't do homeopathic medicines without a certain amount of pure grain alcohol. And also in that part of the uh, South, The deep south in those times where many counties were dry, that is alcohol free, he had to have been using his skills as a distiller. Something. Make it his own. Yes. And apparently uh, he was misunderstood by the local authorities and supposedly was. Put in the slammer, Burgoyne made off to California and the aforementioned Church of Light, and also to write two books, one while he was living and the other channeled after he was dead, collectively known as The Light of Egypt. The Light also, of Egypt. Yes. Uh, the first volume I would call authentic, the second volume was authentic channeling, whatever that may mean. But um, it, obviously, the light of Egypt refers to the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light and the Hermetic right. Order of Light and the Celestial Lodge of Sirius and whatever. But uh, uh, Davidson stayed true to the uh, to the original teachings, the secret teachings of uh, P.B. Randolph. And they remained secret teachings because they were never published. They were printed for members, but yeah. never published <clears throat> until I got a hold of them. Also, oh, that when you got hold of it, then, then did you actually release it? Of course, I did. I don't believe in <laughs> secrecy, <laughs> as was famously said by somebody, probably the guy that used to run the Magical Child Bookstore in New York, uh, is the enemy of truth. And I've never believed in secrecy, don't believe in secrecy. Uh, Maybe how to make an atom bomb would be appropriate to have uh, remain obscure. Although the the cat is out of the bag, you know, and I mean, if uh, Pakistan and Iran have it, you know, that's 
they got it somewhere, and I assume yeah. they got it uh, uh, from somebody who already knew it or figured it out or whatever. Yeah, highly likely. Yeah, or or some uh, dispossessed Russian figured, well, there's money in this, uh, so who knows yeah. where they got it. I'm sure it wasn't independently developed, but... Uh, you know what can I say about yeah. that? That's yeah. it's already out there. Still, I wouldn't you know be in favor of detailed plans. First, you take this, then you take yeah. that. You take some of the water out of the Savannah River, distill it, and you've got pure plutonium. <laughs> or you take a dead person who died of thyroid cancer, take their thyroid, and in an alchemical process, produce your own plutonium. Yeah, yeah. Cat is out of the bag. Yeah, uh, death a horrible. Not should be Think about it, since that's the way people drown cats. For people who drown cats, what a what an awful notion. Um, yeah, so, yeah, for sure, the two documents that basically are the source in Western civilization for sexual magic were written by P.B. Randolph under the influence of, uh, shall we say, Middle Eastern magic. He visited Egypt and he was also in the Jerusalem, a very tiny thing in those days, and Bethlehem of those days, and on up into Syria, which is uh, dominated by an unusual sect of Islam noted for its secrecy. Um, and he published their secrets, the Ansaritic secrets, and the um, uh, basically the secrets of sexual magic. Well, that went down well. Well, it wound up being the central teaching of the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light, migrated over here to this side of the pond in the uh, in the uh, HB of L here in Georgia, which yeah. spread out and had branches uh, in Alabama, in Chicago, Illinois, and other places, and actually had quite a following and uh, yeah. um, the sanitized version continued to be publicly published in the morning star by uh peter davidson yeah. alan. A yes yeah sorry mate uh, how many uh, members would they roughly have like in each lodge or would that vary i think it varied from very few maybe 10 to several hundred. Really? That's quite That's, a lot of really successful. Well, yeah, I mean, in back in uh, in uh, P.B. Randolph's day in the Brotherhood of Eulis, yeah. uh, at sort of what amounts to his last will and testament, he, uh, um, it isn't called that, it's called the triplicate order. He lists what he oh. calls the... Um, mm, you know, the summary of the work of uh, the uh, Brotherhood of Eulis, 
the Pythian order and some other, I forget which one, which he didn't have real claims to, but he lists people by name and it's a very substantial list even then. And this is mid 1870s. But after he passed, it seems to have more or less fallen apart. Of course, it didn't it didn't really help matters that in 1873 or thereabouts, the, quote, Rosicrucian rooms established by the Brotherhood of Eulis, uh, which may have been uh, sort of fancy mystical body houses. I'm not sure this removed, but they were all raided by the police and shut down because we are talking about late Victorian times where uh, what you did in private was probably not much discussed, but what you did that was accessible to the public uh, was the object of the attention of the constabulary. So that probably had a lot to do with the original Brotherhood of Euless breaking up. But uh, Davidson had the good sense, uh, particularly after his uh, encounter with the law over uh, distilling the forbidden alcohol. Um, he well, stayed away. Oh, yeah. 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 I think the one thing you don't mention around his family, if you want to be ingratiated with them, is that because they will deny it, but then they close up, you know. I mean, I'm not saying every member because I didn't talk to every member. Um, yeah. But those I did talk to, that was something I learned to avoid. So eventually, there was a uh, descendant of Davidson uh, who was knowledgeable about these things. In fact, I had made such a good impression that the Clan Davidson Society, which is throughout the South, published a uh, piece uh, by the... Uh, uh, what you would call him, James Peter Davidson or Peter James Davidson. They kept using the name uh, through the generations, who was uh, an important and influential member, uh, published a notice saying, uh, you know, that I was an okay guy and they should cooperate with me. So right, right. the woman who ran a uh, well-known health food establishment in Atlanta gave me permission to carry on that work. So if you give me the ball, I run with it and yeah, uh, yeah. of course, I, unlike a lot of the uh, people with the quote, Golden Dawn, unquote, and the quote, OTO, unquote, and the quote, AA, unquote, I don't claim to be the only heir to this because obviously Davidson didn't whisper in my ear, here are the inner secrets. I just yeah, read yeah. the stuff and I, you know, convey it as best I can, according to my understanding, not being, you know, the uh, uh, direct heir, which none of these people are. I mean, Golden Dawn was dead by 1903, 04. And, you know, a lot of people who were in it, Arthur Mackin and, uh, and, uh, the Irish poet Yeats, uh, they pretty much disowned that part of their life. I don't, I don't think it was because 
they disagreed with the teaching, I think the times had moved on and there was a right. lot of bitterness among the various factions. And of course, Waite started his own uh, Christian Golden Dawn and Crowley started his version of the Golden Dawn, i.e. the AA. And, you know, it, but all of them were versions of it. The biggest being, biggest in numbers would be the Stella Matutina, uh, which was not a direct descendant, but that was, you know, the the basis for Israel Regardi's membership in the post-Golden Dawn world. And he is the, you know, the totem out of which the, uh, the present claimants uh, go back to, although he was, as far as I know, not that high level an initiate. So I don't claim, you know, some lineal thing. In fact, I don't think anything in the magical path is so much lineal as when I was writing my book on magical history, I decided these organizations are too secretive to really have a lineal uh, path towards following uh, these patterns back beyond uh, you know, beyond uh, early 20th century. But what you can follow is the authentic tradition, and you can follow that back to Adam and Lilith, I guess. Uh, very interesting. So, uh, I've traced the history to where the maps say you are here. So, here we are. Questions, answers, whatever. You could throw me a little bit then, Alan, with that last bit about uh, Adam and Lilith. I find that uh, super interesting. Well, there is a long tradition. Uh, I wouldn't want to plug my son's current movie, plug number five. Oh, yes, yes. You, you mentioned this uh, when we spoke again after the recording last time. Uh, I, I really, really need to get, get around watching it. Um, oh, I have that. Uh, what's well, it called again, mate? Oh, gosh. Uh, Lullaby. Lullaby. Not to be confused with the Spanish film of the same name. It's uh, a, an American film that happened to come out, you know, you can't uh, trademark or copyright uh, titles. So the title is the same, and both of them yeah. are movies that deal with the occult, but his movie is based on uh, occult Kabbalistic lore. Uh, I know because we discussed it, and uh, I would recommend it along with... Uh, um, a dark song as authentic magical workings. In any case, Lilith has an interesting uh, historical basis in that some version of Lilith as a dark goddess uh, goes back to at least back to ancient Sumer. 
which is as early as civilizations that bothered to write things down as far yeah. as it's known uh, were, unless you count pictograms uh, such as cave paintings, which some have argued is a language somewhat similar to hieroglyphics, uh, and those go back 25, 35,000 years or more. Um, it seems that along with the uh, somewhat primordial story of Adam and Eve comes the legend of Adam and Lilith. Lilith, unlike the later Eve, uh, is, well, the name is closely related to the Hebrew word for night, uh, Lela, and uh, as in Lila Tov, which is good night, baby, uh, which isn't always about good night. She was not inclined to be Adam's rib. So according to legend, she fled from Adam and became her own being and had uh, relations, how shall I put it? Uh, she was fucking uh, the demons and ghosts and all sorts. Is that delicate enough for your listeners? Say oh, wait, say, there's more. Say as it is, mate. That's all we want. Oh, yes. Well, she <laughs> got bepregged, pregnant, and produced all sorts of monsters, and was also said to be very jealous of of women who conceived. So there are all sorts of medieval Kabbalistic legends of how to avoid death and childbirth by warding off Lilith as she would, you know, take the souls of children and leave their bodies a dead husk. Uh, one could argue in a more materialistic fashion that there was a high infant mortality rate as late as early 20th century or in the third world even now. Um, but um, nevertheless, there is every reason to think that that was uh, the function that was attributed to Lilith as a destroyer of newborns. And yeah. the reaction to that were various amulets and talismans that you can still find that uh, I wonder if the plural of talisman is talismans or talismin. Tune in to our next broadcast where this will be revealed. In my new book, no, it's, sorry, I'm not doing a book on that. But um, the next book will be on evil. Yeah. So, so that absolutely makes sense with, uh, with the infant death. If, you know, it's about jealousy. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's always uh, it in the medieval period, whatever happened was interpreted in terms of spirits. Uh, so if a gentleman were to have a nocturnal emission, i.e. come in his sleep, um, it was because a succubus, a good term, even though Latin, it, it conveys even amongst those of us who, 
you know, thrive on some version of English succubus yeah. who has sucked yeah. the life out of you, carry it off and make it into a demon. Uh, so, you know, it's it's an interesting explanation and one can find it in lots of medieval lore. I think probably there is a more mundane explanation and certainly that is the intent. But, you know, I'm not sure that there's really any difference between uh, scientific explanations and magical explanations. I think yeah. there are different ways of interpreting the same thing. Pretty much like in idolatry, is it really worshiping the idol or is the idol just a way of like icons in the Eastern Orthodox Church reminding you of the presence of holy beings? So to speak. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing because rank materialism hardly has all the answers. In fact, I'm not even sure it has any of the answers, uh, but uh, it is an interpretation. And there is, there are other interpretations that include uh, spirits exist and they do things, some good and some evil. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, you're really taxed to explain, you know, a paranormal phenomena in yeah. uh, everyday terms. And I don't try to. I just, the evidence is, I think, overwhelming that these powers exist. And the question for magicians is, can it be funneled to specific purposes? And I think so, but magicians are loath to do the same kind of rigorous testing that uh, parapsychologists do. And the fact that I have urged that on magicians of, in positions of influence, who it falls on deaf ears. So I can't do it myself, but I can editorialize that it should be done. Right. Right. I think uh, it's definitely one to, to watch this lullaby. Uh, he, the, a dark song, is that, uh, what's that about? Or is that something similar to Lullaby? Yeah, in the sense that it, it seems to be, I mean, I don't have, you know, uh, my son's work I have considerable insight into because I talked to him. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also I raised him, so <laughs> he was raised in a magical context. In fact, uh, I even initiated him into the OTO back in those days. Uh, but he didn't keep stay in very long at all because he said, it's not like the mafia. I don't like it. I guess he, he thought it was yeah, like the yeah. mafia, to which I said many years later, my son, it's more like the mafia than you think. <laughs> but uh, that was much later. Um, but uh, the, a dark song seems to be based very closely on uh, what magicians refer to as the abramelin working, which is a short way for a long, long ritual that takes almost a year in real time. A year. Uh, a year. Yeah. Do you know something, Alan? Um, a dark song is it filmed in Wales? Oh, you know, I think that it, I think that it is. I mean, almost all I of it takes place. 
Oh, well, you probably do, but I mean, almost nothing takes place outside, but the, uh, the descriptions of surrounding this house with uh, a circle of salt to uh, keep the energy in, and then all of the, uh, um, the sigils and circles and so forth that this woman is put through by this guy who purportedly understands this kind of working. First thing he says is, you know, this is serious business. If you really get involved in it, it works, but you do pay the price for it. And uh, the movie ends with uh, her obtaining the knowledge and conversation of her holy guardian angel. And uh, her original purpose was to get revenge on a person, but because she had gone through this whole process, she no longer wanted revenge. Yeah. And the angel, was there a kid? Did she, a, did she have a kid what got killed yeah. or something? Yeah. You've yeah. seen the movie because. And uh, uh, she, the guy that she was working with winds up dying during the course of the working because it couldn't break the circle as bad stuff was there too. But the angel is the best depiction of an angel in uh, a modern source I've ever seen, including the notion of the holy guardian angel, which is essentially your higher self and she right. learns not vengeance but forgiveness which liberates her right right great lesson as well as a good movie uh so perhaps a dark song isn't as dark as my son's movie <laughs> where not a, where the end is not all that happy well, she does yes, bury uh, so him at sea, so to speak. So I guess that doesn't have exactly a happy ending anyway, but she she is redeemed in the classical sense of redeemed. Yeah, it's one, it's one of those films. I forget where I've seen it now, Alan, but it's obviously very, very underrated. Um, I'm one of like, like almost an underground type film where it's not much, uh, you know, promotion, but does it need uh, it? I think it was a good film. Yes, yeah, so I, I think it was a, uh, um, a good film, but the most important thing, it was faithful to actual magical workings, which almost no films that deal with magical phenomena have much of a relationship to the ceremonial magic authentic tradition. Uh, it just it just doesn't often happen. And when it does, it happens in a uh, very roundabout like way, you know, yeah. uh, like in Hellier, it isn't about a magical working, but Hellier is a magical working. And those who watch it often report magical effects, pretty much like Uri Geller back in the day when he would bend spoons and people would find the spoons in their kitchen bent. You know, it was just, uh, it was magical in and of itself, not called magic as is frequently the case. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, just, you know, slightly off topic here, um, apologies, but uh, Hellia, uh, will, will there be another season? The 
Well, you know, the uh, the folks that did seasons one and two of Hellier are now doing a bi-weekly podcast, which is in the same spirit as Hellier. It's not a field research thing. It's a yes. uh, program, but it is super good. And whether they go back and do another season of Hellier or not, they're not saying. They're a little bit cagey on that. Ah, but right. I think if you watch the podcast, which is called Haunted Objects Podcast, it is oh, very good. It has the same level of uh, production values that you don't see much on uh, uh, YouTube uh, uh, programs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are a couple that, that are very, very well done. Unfortunately, a couple of them are insane right-wing media. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Probably the CIA is, scripted. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, but the, it's not. I mean, they, uh, they know what they're doing, and they apply the same level of, of expertise and integrity to their program. I mean, I don't agree with everything that's said on the on the podcast, but I think they're in the zone, so to speak. And also they're very kindly to me. <laughs> Frankly, that right, matters to me. Forgive me for caring. <laughs> it matters. So uh, Haunted Objects podcast. Haunted Objects. Definitely got to check that out too. It's available free and all episodes so far are available on YouTube. And I don't also get a rake off on that. I mean, uh, subsidy. I mean, royalties. It's just, they're my friends. They're good people. And they deserve the audience they get, which is enormous. I can imagine, mate. I can imagine. Yeah, Hellier has been very good to me, and it's been very good to them. It's been very, very, very good to them. Yes, uh, on, on Hellier, when, when you was on there, Alan, which would you say was the, the, the strangest part of it for you? Actually, it would not be something that people would notice because there's a part that was off camera they uh, i think it was season two episode seven was it yeah i think so but i you know don't quote me on that because i'm not sure well you don't have to quote me it's right here for your your yeah. audience to say no greenfield it was another episode well i don't watch myself over and over and over i looked at that once when it was on uh prime which is currently taking over the world, apparently. Uh, and I look like this Brando imitator who is saying, well, the truth about the flying saucers is we make you an offer you can't refuse. I mean, I was not trying to do that, but it seems like that was the nature of it. And there was a blinking clock in the blinking background of the blinking thing. And I didn't know about that till after the program. They said, oh, what is the symbolism of the clock? The symbolism was the clock wasn't plugged in and I didn't even notice it until I saw it on TV, you know, so. Um, 
but uh, they were, you know, very kindly to me. But after the interview, I thought they were underrating the happy birthday balloons because of where they were found. They were found in remote areas floating around or laying on the yeah. ground, which they had been led to. And I pointed this out to them. This was off air. And uh, they were going, rah, 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 Greenfield, rah, 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 rah. but they were being polite because they were here in Atlanta in a hotel room. And I had done, yeah. I had generously given of my time as it happens, I was sick as a dog, but that's neither here nor there. It doesn't yeah. show. So it just shows in my random mode. But uh, so I said to them off the top of my head, and honestly, it was off the top of my head. If you don't pay attention to the balloons, it's going to throw a barrier in your path, which is otherwise right on the money. So... They were honest enough, they're very honest, to put yeah. this in the program, them sitting in their car on their way to that little town in Kentucky, I forget the name of it, that they uh, were going to find where Terry found Indrid Cold or something, I don't know. Um, and they come they're on this little side road and they're saying, ah, Greenfield was really annoying with that balloon shit, you know, and they're, they're going on yeah. about that. Yeah. It seemed like that was more important to him than the whole, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they come to a, not making this up. It's in the episode. They come to a pine tree across the road somewhere in Kentucky. I believe it was barring their way. So, uh, Greg Newkirk gets out of the car, and I think one of the others got out. Um, and they go to the tree, and they're trying to lift it off the road. And then I think it was Greg notices something blue at the base of the tree that had fallen down in their path. And it was a blue star-shaped balloon, mylar balloon, the same sort that had been the happy birthday balloons. Yeah. And yeah, they, they took it back to the car and they said, look, Blue Star, Greenfield was talking about the serious mystery, S-I-R-I-U-S, not serious mystery. You know, uh, what is that? A homonym. Yes, homonyms, homonyms. So uh, suddenly... Greenfield saying the balloons are important or you will have a barrier in your path. And when I first saw that, I thought they're going to think that I have a private jet. I don't even have a car. <laughs> I have a private jet and that I have flown ahead of them and chopped down this tree and stuck a balloon in the base of it so that they will get the message or the massage or the massage. And no, that didn't happen, and they didn't think that, but I did because it was just, you know, it's it's like if you're accused of a crime, you start to think, where was I? Can I prove where I was? Did I do it? They think I did it. I confess. Yes, I gave this information to the Americans. Oh, I'm an American. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, who else am I going to give it to? The Canadians? They don't know what to do with it. They're in Canada, where it's cold all the time. They're crazy. 
That's so, uh, it's really is crazy about that balloon, mate. That balloon, balloon, which was even one of the things that I'm not sure they're even aware of, even to this day, and I could, because I haven't spoiled it by telling them. But they were they were connecting the blue star balloon with my talking about Sirius and the barrier in their path with the tree. That's a great hit, and it's just hours from when I was saying that, and they were, well, they weren't laughing at me, but I mean, they were poo-pooing what I have to say. Um, uh, and then they, you know, they were back in the car, and they said, well, maybe Greenfield knows what he's talking about here. Oh, yeah, I guess he does. But what they didn't know was my publisher at the time was Blue Star Publishing of Sacramento, wow. California. <laughs> Greg yeah, and Dina don't know it, that, <laughs> but they are now in boom, the Twilight Zone. It was perfect. It was a weird moment, and I expected Rod Serling to appear on the side of the road saying, the people from Hellier don't know it, but they're now in the Twilight Zone. Ba boom That's the weirdest thing in the whole. Uh, the second weirdest, however, was in the, uh, was it the ultimate or the penultimate episode where they decide to go in the mine shaft and do something that I would never do again because I've done it and gotten uh, other kinds of results. An invocation to Pan. Fortunately for them, they had been talking as they were winding their way towards the uh, cave about finding Indrid Cold. And when they invoked Pan, they all got cold. No way. I said wittily, uh, well, you asked for cold and invoked Pan, and you got cold. You're lucky you didn't get a bear sleeping in the back of the cave with cubs. That would have been, you know, yeah. see the movie Cocaine Bear. You really don't want to find one with their cubs in a in a cavern. I mean, yeah, the I, I, I have done a lot of caving, have had one accident that uh, cost me uh cost me a month of pain but uh other than that you know i'm very very cautious i always caverns and mines i always wear a helmet have some water have somebody on the outside who knows where i am in case there's a cave in so they can run and get help help this guy fell in save greenfield help help and I always go to Spelunkers, so, you know, this one time. Greenfield. <laughs> help, help! Greenfield is drowning! Help, help! Nobody expects the Greenfields to die in a landslide. Cardinal Biggles, the cushy cushion. No, no, no! Open the door! But they got cold. And... Magic is very literal, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I would say so, they had, that was the second most 
weird thing. Fortunately, unlike my own experience much earlier in life, in the early 1980s, when we were doing the Castaneda system on spooky Arabia Mountain out in the wilds, it's no longer in the wilds, Atlanta has absorbed it of North Georgia. Uh, we started out the evening, our little group of uh, seekers, by doing the uh, uh, Akkad's Charge of the Star Goddess, which I did, and I have a pretty good voice for these things. But then this guy, Ken King, I don't know what has become of him. He moved away sometime in those that period. He did Crowley's Hymn to Pan. And it was the spookiest and best invocation I have ever heard of that particular poem, which is probably Crowley's best poem by far. I mean, frankly, most of his poetry is not all that good. He thought it was, but <laughs> then he was trying to top Yates and maybe they were members of the same club for a while, but they're not in the same league. Um, but the hymn to Pan is a more than passable poem. And this guy, Ken King, was really invoking. And we got out to the mountain and did what we usually do, did back in the day, which was legal then, or more or less, not illegal, we'll put it that way, built a bonfire at the summit of the mountain on the autumnal equinox 1982 Jeez. and sure enough the god pan or the uh, satyr pan took possession of one of the people and he turned into a goat-footed pointy-eared uh, Vertical eyed. Did, did you did you actually see this this like transformation? Oh yeah. Or did, or did it did it just happen or did it like the beast bit gradually happen? Well, it, I didn't see the transformation happening. It wasn't like you know uh, the the, the launching like the, the wolfman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah, was yeah. not little you know time lapse. He wandered off, I guess, because the guy that it happened to, yeah. uh, because I guess he was feeling weird. And he wandered to what would later become our consecration spot called, interestingly enough, Consecration Rock. Well, it was pitch black outside of the, um, it was a moonless night, I believe. Uh, at least if there was a moon, it hadn't risen yet or it had already set outside of the, uh, the bonfire, which was in a safe area of this uh, ancient Monadnock, uh, which has yeah. these little pools. And I went off to find him in the dark and I wandered around. I don't think I even had a torch with me, but I wandered around and then under Consecration Rock in a under a ledge, I saw these glowing eyes. So I figured it might be an animal, but there weren't any large animals there. It was not, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I approached and I mentioned his name and I said, 
as I got close, I saw, I didn't really see the hoofs, but I did see the ears, the red glowing eyes, and the um, vertical pupils. And I looked, and he was very, very distraught. And I said, uh, are you all right? And he said, and I quote exactly, no, 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 no. That went on for 15, 20 minutes as I stood there taking a step or two back because he was clearly in a very wrought up state. Yeah. So I decided to do the better part of valor. And I said, excuse me. I'll be right back. And I got to the other uh, gentleman and uh, my then girlfriend, uh, later wife, uh, to make their way over to this locale. One of them was the brother of the gentleman who had uh, transformed. And I said, uh, there's something uh, you need to see with your brother. But we need, I said, well, let me just go. I said, bring everybody. This, this is going to be a problem. It's so going to be a problem. <laughs> they took one look and decided, well, we've got to get him up to the bonfire and do a healing. I said, that may be difficult, but okay. So three or four of us strong young men, this is 1982, and one of them was a bodybuilder. We struggled with him for the, uh, I don't know, 300 paces, whatever. It's very difficult in the dark with a struggling satyr trying to get away to do whatever a struggling satyr does when they get away. Uh, Always trying to rest restrain him, Mike. Oh, we were restraining him uh, with great effort because the fact is he was trying to get loose for what purpose we knew not and at that moment i think cared not we didn't want to find out you know yeah, because he was <laughs> way 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 out of control like you know uh so we got him to the bonfire and we did little new agey uh, exorcist sort of yeah. stuff didn't do any good at all he was still this raving thing so Somebody, and I don't remember which one, said, we need to get him away from the mountain. And I oh, thought, but didn't say, that's probably a bad idea because the mountain has, that's why we come there. It has a certain amount of power itself. You get him away from here, he may be permanently uh, ensorcelled, but somehow or other with great difficulty, we got into the car and uh, we seated him in the back seat with uh, the uh, bad mistake. The uh, the uh, bodybuilder driving, and again the guy that was had done the invocation and I were sitting. Let's see. I was sitting in the back. We thought it politic that the girl sit in back with me. 
And they in front set the thing betwixt the two gentlemen who were still human. Well, the further we got away from the mountain, the more panish Pan became. And then he turned around with his glowing eyes, looked at my girlfriend, and started to lunge over the seat with, you know, the driver and the other guy and me trying to hold him back because he was ready to, as the poem goes, rend and rape. And uh, she's going, uh, uh, what, 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 uh, just stay where you are. So we struggled with him. And then with a moment of lucidity, he looks at her, not, not a foot away from her and says, you're not even Denise which was a little girl who wasn't even there. And then they were able to pull him back. We took him home, and it happens that his brother, the bodybuilder, was at that time um, a student at the Atlanta School of Massage. So he had a massage table at home, and he thought it politic to basically relax every muscle in this creature's body until he turned back into himself. It was dawn before he uh, reconstituted as the person he had been, in w at which point he had no memory of it. And still, as far as I know, to this day, has no memory of it. I think yeah, he's living in Alaska now. Probably folks all that way. <laughs> It's I'll probably for the best, but you know, he has to take our word for it. And uh, I never forgot the lesson of that that if you invoke it, it will come. And it may not be something uber desirable. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's mental that way. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if I've conveyed that it was very scary, but a teaching moment yes. <laughs> that I've been successful. Oh, um, just, just, uh, just one more, Alan. Ingrid Cole. You mean what, where is what, he, or is he alive, or what? What is it? Oh, who is it? Yeah, is this? Is he one of the men in black? Do you think? Uh, I think he's. I think he's non-human, but has taken human form, which he did originally uh, in order to be involved in the uh, Mothman phenomena in West Virginia uh, as a kind of diversion from Mothman as such. But something happened at that time, and I think he just whether voluntarily or otherwise, stayed human. Uh, maybe he was caught in a human shell. That part, I don't know. But he had to find some place to be. And he wound up, apparently, according to the Hellier folks, and I think they traced it well enough that I'm willing to specify that, to this little town in Kentucky. Furthermore, a friend of mine... Uh, from Los Angeles, 
uh, suggested, and it fits very closely, that certain scrying experiments that have been done since then uh, have uh, disclosed that there is a portal in this little town, and the local people have uh, sort of developed a, uh, shall we say, mental imbalance. So there are all kinds of weird things in this little town. But apparently this is where Indrid Cole passes from and to uh, some other dimension or Magonia or whatever. Now, whether this is true now or was true earlier but is no longer true, I don't know. But I suspect that Indrid Cole is still alive and well in human form somewhere. And the place to start would be this little town in Kentucky. Let me see if I can remember the name of it. Uh, I should be able to remember it because it's the name of a of an oil company that uh, uh, is headquartered in that town, probably the only business of any size in that town. It's not Marathon, that's in Greece. That's where the guy ran and died. We won, I'm dying. (laughs) <laughs> well, he was a true runner. Let's let's incorporate this in to the Olympics. Okay. Take the dead guy and burn him and we'll remember him in the marathon. Okay, okay. They said all this in Greek. I'm loosely translating from the ancient coin Greek. Uh, sort, of, yeah. sort of like the Book of Mark. Um, uh, so what was the name of the town? Maybe I'm not supposed to remember it right now, uh, but it is. Pleasant. No, no, no. It's not in West Virginia. It's although it's uh, underneath it is this vast, vast cave system. I believe it's called the Mammoth Cave. Well named because this goes on for hundreds of miles. Much of it unexplored. Some of it explored. Some of it, you know, they put lights in and a trail in, and it's a national something or other. But um, much of it unexplored. And on top of that, all throughout uh, Kentucky and West Virginia, there are weird events of various sorts. Mothman extending all the way to. Uh, Illinois and Indiana, and uh, you'll have to look at a map on that. Uh, And throughout Kentucky, which is saturated with these cases, and West Virginia, which is the best known part, but you have many, many men in black cases and many, many Mothman cases. And also, um, I mean, this was grist for Graham Barker's mill because he lived there. And most of his life he lived there and uh, I believe was born in Rifle, West Virginia and uh, spent most of his life in uh, Clarksburg, which is, you know, right right up the road from uh, where the Flatwoods Monster appeared. And, Flatwoods uh, Monster? Yeah, that was before Mothman. I'm not sure they're not the same thing, okay? People describe things according to their own 
you know, their own perception of it. And it's like not like these things stand around and pose for a painting, you know, they're there and then they're gone, usually with some underlying sexual tensions going on. But um, that is a story in and of itself. And probably we don't have time for that. But yes, these places are saturated with that. The way, oh, I keep publishing these things on my Twitter feed from uh, uh, Higgy Pop (laughs) about places in Britain that are haunted in various ways. And if you follow up on any of those, you'll find there must be either tunnels beneath, which there are, uh, some of them man-made, some of them only dating from World War II, yeah. and some of them... I know there's tunnels in Liverpool, mate, and all that from Liverpool yeah. port. That, that was a good one, that. Yeah, and Liverpool is one of those places that... Uh, there's even a thing maybe on my feed today about haunted Liverpool. Yeah, I'll check that out, mate. I sent the one from uh, yesterday. That was Manchester yesterday, I think. But uh, all right, okay. You're you're dealing with the same river, right? So, yes. Uh, rivers usually have uh, underground origins, and that makes for caves. And people have uh, dug. And there's uh, there's a book, not one that I wrote about the, uh, I mean, uh, London has been around uh, since before the Romans, really. Oh, yes. I mean, that was where the head of Bran the Blessed was said to be on Tower Hill uh, and was an oracle in, you know, uh, among the ancient Britons before they got pushed into Wales. So it's still there and that's uh, where the tower was built and that's where the, according to legend, England will stand as long as the, uh, what are they, ravens? Continue to be there, which I don't know if they're there or not, but I'm sure somebody checks on it. The beef eaters have to check on it and if they've left they sort of have to board the next boat for new york because they know the the whole the whole blinking island is uh, you know going to sort of sink like you know yeah atlantis like so but that's a you know there there are places where these tunnels and caves don't exist and there's they're dead spots for occult phenomena but places where there are underlying uh, streams, which usually are followed by the ley lines on the surface, if somebody has bothered to, you know, to document them, especially where they come together, you have a lot of different types of weirdness. Yeah, I wonder why that is. Is It's like, like Kentucky. And these, uh, what were these, these little, uh, the little green, what were the, 
I think there's a there's a, a football team called the Green Men, isn't there? Yeah. A rather famous one. Oh, is that? I'm not sure. Like the Green Men. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think these little green um, entities are? First of all, I don't think they're actually green. I think they're greenish, and yeah. the uh, tabloids pick it up and they run with green men. But I think they're goblins, and goblins wear green for some reason. Right. Uh, green jacket, red coat, and a white owl's feather, which is the old poem that goes up the airy mountain, down the rushy glen. We daren't go hunting for fear of little men, green men, little men trooping all together, green jacket, red cap, and a white owl's feather. Yeah. I don't know who wrote that, but I didn't. So. <laughs> it was required reading in school. What can I say? You don't yeah. ever lose the ones that were required, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, these these little goblins. Have you actually seen any of them when you was uh, at Hellia? Oh uh, no, much 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 earlier than that. Uh, my then wife and I uh, made a field trip to the Florida Keys, which is. Uh, well, when last I looked, was still a pretty wild area. Yeah. And across one of, uh, from where I was standing, was a key that was, uh, keys are just little tiny islands, uh, comes from the, I think the conquistadors called them keys, uh, and keys is the best American pronunciation of case. Oh, there are keys. No, they're not. But uh, uh, in any case, I could see across the the water to the next key, which was wild and people did not live on it. Uh, These little people who were exactly as described. So I would call them goblins or... They they certainly didn't look like fairies in the sense that they didn't have wings and they didn't yeah. weren't ethereal looking. They were pretty much goblinesque. Yeah, and like I saw a solid, them, a solid being. Yeah, I saw them as long as I cared to stand there and look. Uh, so <laughs> now that I think of it, that's the same trip that I had stopped off at the Ripley's Mu- Museum in Saint Augustine. And uh, made my bid on the Ye Book of Ye Art Magical, i.e. the uh, first draft of the Book of Shadows from uh, acquired Gerald. from, yeah, from old Gerald, Gerald as they like yeah. to call him. Old Gerald <laughs> wasn't that old when he when he uh, pinned the thing in three different handwritings, but. Uh, Doreen Valente assured me he had those three different handwritings. So. Very interesting, mate. I, I should have bought it. Should have bought it. I'd be, yeah. I'd be more famous now, or instead of being almost famous, I might actually be famous. Alice. 
You're, you're going to say goodbye, but I can't. I have to sing a line from Fame. Fame, I want to live forever. <laughs> How's he going, Gus? Alan, mate, uh, once again, uh, incredible conversation. You are, you really are legend, mate. <laughs> Let me bestow upon you in closing an yes. honorary membership in the Celestial Lodge of Sirius. I hereby bestow it upon you. Bing! <laughs> Now, nice at the summer there. solstice, you must go out and see the helical rising of Sirius. That is your initiation ritual. Thank you, Don't sir. invoke anything. It might come, and it won't be pleasant. <laughs> Alan, uh, right, right, before you go, would you like to let everybody know where they can get old you, please, sir? I guess so. Uh, the easiest way to get my stuff is to either go to uh, uh, Barnes & Noble online, uh, or uh, I think they may even have it in their bookstores. Uh, I would recommend the book depository, but apparently they've been bought by, uh, did Facebook buy them? No, uh, Bezos, uh, Amazon, yes, Amazon bought them and now they're closing next month. So don't, if you're going to buy from Book Depository, do it quickly or buy it from Amazon UK or Amazon wherever you are. And I believe all of my books are there, uh, not including some of those that I didn't actually write, like the witchcraft one and Timothy Green Beckley's book, My Late Friend, Screwed by the Aliens. I believe I contributed an article to it, but I mean, that's not my book. Or if you need to get in touch with me and want to, you know, listen to some of my podcasts, I'm every day on Twitter, as uh, General Lee will vouch yes. for. I am there more often than I sleep. Uh, and, or... Uh, <laughs> You can just Google my name. That's Alan, A-L-L-E-N. I'm not an A-L-A-N, Alan. I'm an A-L-L-E-N, Alan. Greenfield, exactly like it sounds. And you will come up with hundreds of, of pages, uh, some of which actually reflect uh, who I really am, others of which are scurrilously wrong and are done by either my enemies or by the nefarious men in black is that an overlong answer well that was spot on that mate okay. spot on. um alan it's been a true honor yet again uh, i can't wait till we speak again mate but um i want to stop recording now that was that was brilliant thank you sir well i hope it was brilliant because i claimed that it was going to be <laughs> <laughs> always mate always Right, uh, don't go anywhere though, please, mate.
met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.